So, before Ryan Murphy decided he was be- going to become a horror anthology master, before, <laughs> yes, which I have a lot of feelings about, but that's for another time and place, uh, before Michael Shore made us fall in love with a group of lovable offbeat people in Pawnee, Indiana. And before all those, we had Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg in Britain doing shows like Spaced from 1999, which would lead to the creation of Shaun of the Dead in 2004. Um, And the reason I bring this up kind of in the intro is that though it doesn't follow quite the same thing as like a comedy troupe that follows each other's work the way that people play many roles in both the Michael Schur and Ryan Murphy universes. I kind of feel like for a moment in time and for a very particular segment of Gen X, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg represent a sort of theater troupe in the work that they did together because they worked so closely for so long. Mm. So we're talking about Shaun of the Dead today, and I'm very excited. This 2004 uh, comedy horror Zombity, as people have coined the term, <laughs> is one of those films that is somehow both a critical darling and is a cult classic at the same time, which is a very rare thing to do. And I'm excited to be here today. Are you excited to be here, Magnus? Have you have you uh, gone down to the Winchester for a pint before it all blows over, <laughs> uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Well, dear sir, yes, I'm incredibly excited because British comedies are my bread and butter. And jam, shall we say. Um, although you won't find me having a pint, it's more of a glass of wine. Um, I, I'm more of your black books, alcoholic um, librarian swigging back rather than uh, your typical British lad, shall we say. We'll have to find a bougie Winchester for you to go to where you can get your wine. Because it didn't strike <laughs> me that the Winchester was uh, really a wine bar type of bar. I know they were missing a trick, but I suppose it it matches really closely to the general aesthetic that they were going for in this. Yeah, like, and, and I don't know about Crouch End, but maybe there aren't a lot. There weren't a lot of wine drinkers in Crouch End in like two thousand three, <laughs> two thousand four. Hmm. Yes. Um. I don't know. Uh, wines never really had, shall we say, a trendy era. Um. It's always been more of like a drink of choice, I would say. Yeah. Rather than anything else. I mean, there's no wine in this movie, but we do get a lot of blood, which kind of looks like red wine. And there's the ongoing, you've got the red on you um, joke they make about Sean, which I appreciate. So there's, it's kind of like wine, but if you think wine and blood are the same thing, I guess. <laughs> What's up? Mm. I never did quite understand. Like, so you always have the blood on his shirt from his rather freak out moment with the uh, baseball bat in the backyard yeah. um so blood doesn't transmit the virus in this movie but a bite does yes uh that is that is a zombie trope actually that is a zombie film trope which is one of the tropes that um they use in Shaun of the Dead so it's interesting is that looking in interviews for Shaun of the Dead They don't talk about it. They're very clear it's not a parody, that it is its own zombie film. But for a long time, people just thought it was a love letter to zombie films. They didn't really think of it as, like, its own entry into the zombie genre for a long time. 
Um, oh, even here across the pond, people used to say, well, it's a love letter to zombie films. It's not a quote unquote real <laughs> zombie film, but it was made as a real zombie film and it followed a lot of the uh, a lot of the dictates of Romero. So in a Romero mm-hmm. zombie film in the first three, at least blood droplets were not transmission. It was the bite. It wasn't like last okay. of us where the fungus like gets inside of you and then it's all over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's one of those things where that is kind of a that is kind of a loving nod uh, to Romero. Uh, it also is something that this movie does really well, which is foreshadowing. So you've got the red pen that creates mm. the red spot on um, Simon Pegg's outfit, along with the red tie, and that's significant in that he's going to get blood splattered on him later. But at the beginning, it's just an annoying note that people make. So yeah, <laughs> and so I detect a great deal of excitement in your tone regarding this movie. Has it been one that you found quite endearing previously? I think so. Um, I think it's my favorite entry in the Three Flavors Cornetto, or as we call it in America, the Blood and Ice Cream trilogy. Um, I think it's mm. probably the most iconic. It's the one dearest to my heart out of the three. Hot Fuzz has some really great moments, but identify more with the zombie film than I do a buddy cop comedy or an end of the world alien film, uh, which I saw in theaters and didn't think that was very good. So if we ever do World's End, I'll have a lot more to say about that critique wise. Mm. But I think as far as uh, love letter films, as far as actual thematical genre films, and as far as kind of both a romance and a buddy love story, Shaun of the Dead does a lot of really great work both in the moment and continues to do the work. Uh, people are still obsessed with this movie. Um, there was a book written about it even. Uh, you got read on you, how Shaun of the Dead was brought to life by Clark Collis that came out last year. And uh, the Goodreads reviews on it are just crazy. There are no one-star <laughs> reviews, which is so rare. Um, mm. So I think I am not alone in... Uh, quite a bit of affection for this movie as far as Edgar Wright's work a body of work goes as well um, a lot of what he did before Shaun of the Dead and before Space you can see how it influenced how he did stuff in Shaun of the Dead but even in things like Last Night in Soho where you're messing with the idea of time and you're messing with the idea of people when you think about Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim versus the world you can all see how Edgar Wright's aesthetic and Edgar Wright's sensibility, use of wit, uh, use of camera technique, um, really kind of all stem from stuff he was either trying or he was getting right in Shaun of the Dead. So yeah, that 2004 film, we have to thank for the fabulous Last Night in Soho and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's continued dominance of 2020 horror films. So. Mm. Because she was also in the menu, which is a fantastic and difficult film to watch. So, <laughs> um, you've spoken about a particular line of references that this film was inspired by, and it has been acknowledged that they were inspired by that. Yeah, I do. You think that something that must be acknowledged though is the fact that all three films in the Cornettos trilogy are a love letter to the particular genres of british um horror film comedies and such um so shaun of the dead is inspired by um zombie slash paranormal 
British films. Um, the one that really springs to mind is uh, 28 Days Later, which came out, um, I think it was a couple of years before Shaun of the Dead is a big standout thing. Um, Hot Fuzz was inspired by body cup, uh, buddy cop dramas and also um, <laughs> the good old British uh, tea time murder mysteries in the countryside. I would also and... say Hot Fuzz um, is a folk horror movie when we talk about that in the next episode because we're talking about um, these two films as romance films yes. for Romance Month. I'm going to I'm going to talk about the concept of um, Hot Fuzz as a parody of a, a subgenre that the Brit British horror does really well called folk horror. So like Wicker mm. Man um, and things like that. And I think that um, it's a low key yes folk horror film that's not its kind of central theme but i actually think it does all the things i love about folk horror really well so and then the last one at the world's end it's a love letter to retro british um sci-fi shows and such yeah. so they they all definitely have their own distinct flavors and such um and edgar wright actually talks about uh when he was doing hot fuzz that people would come up to him uh, somebody in particular came up to him i looked at the article and i think i closed it out and they were like oh so you're getting out of the horror genre which he knew then meant it was the right thing to do um because he didn't want to get pigeonholed and even now when mm -hmm. people ask him about a Shaun of the dead sequel he's like i don't really want to retread that territory not that it's bad but he's like i have trouble going back it takes like three years to make a movie so it has to be something you really love mm. to do um and so I, he doesn't hate the film but it's kind of like he feels like he did what he wanted to do and i'm not sure he feels mm. like i feel like i wish ryan murphy had that kind of restraint uh, when you look at american mm -hmm. horror story some of the seasons like if he'd had some restraint and finished some storylines he would have had a much stronger anthology series than the one he created. So mm. I don't begrudge Edgar Wright for not wanting to go back, although there is a lot of affection for this. Apparently he still gets like scripts from people and like people wanting him to produce and like wanting to throw money at him for a Shaun of the Dead sequel. And he's just like, oh, I've got good. And he really doesn't need to do it. Like he's got you know, Baby Driver is an amazing film. Last Night in Soho is an amazing film. He doesn't mm. really need to go back to the zombie genre <clears throat> until he falls in love yeah. with it again. And that's okay as an artist. Mm. And just to add my thought to it, I, I don't know that there really needs to be a Shaun of the Dead sequel. Um, I feel the story is pretty solid and it, it doesn't feel like they could really do a continuation well, of the, what they the, had. Yeah, there's two reasons it wouldn't work. The first reason mm. would be that Shaun of the Dead actually kind of became a new standard for how disease control was looked at. Um, mm. I read that in articles, so and how accurate it is, because there was no, like, and see here where this happened. Um, but the other part of it is, is that the only way for me it would work is if it was Shaun of the Dead, but they but like Shaun and Liz, and then Ed, for some reason visit like greece to like have their wedding or honeymoon or something and then uh. another zombie app so like it has to involve the same characters and you know penelope wilton reprised harriet jones i don't know that she needs to reprise barbara and bill nighy 
of course, famously dies in the film, so he can't really reprise the <laughs> step-down role. I think you're just yeah. creating more of like a Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii scenario, and that didn't work out for the Brady Bunch. And and there are just it's okay to not make sequels. I think we get so used to the marvelization of things where things have to continue, but there was a portion of time where sequels weren't being made. There were many years between Mad Max movies. You know, it's okay to have something that you love that is just a step in time. And mm. I think Shaun of the Dead would not necessarily be served by a sequel. Also, Simon Pegg, Nick mm. Frost, and Edgar Wright are all very, very busy people. Like, oh, yes. if you decided to do like a, like a, di like if you did like a Diane goes to like uh, Greece to get her groove back and then there happens to be more like zombies there that she has to battle by herself, that would work if you like spun it off into a Diane thing. But I don't think anyone's favorite character in Shaun of the Dead was like Diane. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe the, uh, the female <clears throat> Shaun analog he meets partway through the movie before the zombies and then partway through the zombie attack. Um, who was mm. played by who was played by one of his co-stars from uh, space? Jessica Stevenson. Yeah, Jessica Stevenson, who I think was his main co-star in space. Um, yeah, like you could do something with that, but that's a spinoff, and there's no guarantee that will either be a received or will be be as good. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm okay with leaving things where they are. I have a DVD mm. of it. The only thing that I'm missing is a DVD with like a director's commentary. So we can hear Edgar Wright and Nick Frost and Simon Pegg really talk about things. Like that's the only thing from my DVD of it that I'm missing. Also, I'm missing the uh, audio recording Jonathan Franks made that didn't make it into the movie. I do desperately want to hear that. But like, <laughs> except for a director's commentary, I'm not really missing, you know, anything I'm not, I'm not missing anything in the universe. Uh, I feel the same way about 28 Days Later, to be perfectly honest, which came out in 2002. I looked it up. Mm. And, but they did do a They did 28 weeks later, didn't they, for that? Um... Yeah, they did 28 weeks later. There's There's been talk off and on about a miniseries, um, but 28 Days Later itself is also one of, one of those films where I'm like, yeah, I don't really need a sequel to it um i feel that same way actually most zombie movies i'm thinking of like uh zombieland i don't think needed a sequel either and yet they gave it one um it's not as good so so it's one of those things where like sequels are fine but they don't work for everything it's okay and you know Shaun of the dead is a very specific reference point to a moment in time I think of this yes. as like the Gen X version of a zombie movie. Um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Edgar Wright are all kind of Gen Xers. They're a bit before mm. my millennial because I'm like right on, like right on the edge, but I'm definitely more millennial. So like I don't relate to their experiences as much. But this seems like as a Gen X horror movie, it seems almost perfect. It's like Idle Hands or The Craft for Me, you know, kind of thing. Exactly. Um, I, I want to move on to one little point in a second, but just to touch on what you were saying, I I think you've hit the nail on the head. The Shaun of the Dead came out at a time where the the overall themes of the film um, of disillusionment, of lacking a direction, 
in life and feeling a bit sort of um caught up in the modern world but not sure where you're going and such i think that really did speak to yeah. certainly quite a few people over here from um the younger generation that caught it at the time it came out um the sorry just trying to think of the right way to put it yeah yeah so I, what's interesting is because... that it's it's a film about stagnation not fear a zombie movie mm -hmm. tends to be generally speaking about fear and there is that fear yeah. because like they were filming it in a post 9-11 world and that did influence where it went but this movie in so much as zombies are feel fearful creatures this is more almost a coming-of-age romance story that just happens to have zombies in it and mm. i think that that's a really important thing to note is that if there had been no zombies Sean might have still gotten his life together, might have still gotten back together with Liz, but the, the zombies kind of woke him up from his stupor and made him kind of confront the relationship he had with mm. Ed that was kind of toxic. And without the zombies, maybe maybe that would have happened, maybe not. Maybe they would have ended up like uh, uh, Daisy and her husband from Keeping Up Appearances, where they just kind of live in lower-end housing. Um <laughs> But it, it, it's one of those really interesting things where it's kind of the same idea as Spaced, where you just kind of keep missing the markers of growing up. So the idea of Spaced in 99 was that um, Simon Pegg's character, I have the cast list so I can actually say their names. Um, so Simon Pegg plays Tim and Jessica Hines uh, plays Daisy. And Tim and Daisy end up living and an apartment together, or a flat, as you will, um, mm. because they can't afford anything else. And it's the idea that they're kind of floating, um, they're stoners uh, kind of thing. I think they're actually stoners in it. I don't know if it's just stoner-like, or if they are actually stoners. It's been a while since I've seen it. But like Peter Sarnofowitz, who plays Pete in this film, plays Dwayne. Um, Bill Bailey is in it, which is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. um, but Spaced has this kind of same idea, this idea of kind of free-floating, trying your hardest to grow up, and feeling like the world isn't letting you, that it's kind of stopping you from doing it, even though you're not really showing the forward momentum yourself. Even the poster for Spaced, they have this kind of shot of them where they're slack-jawed and they're all kind of huddled together, like an anti-Beverly Hills 90210 moment. Um, mm. And you can kind of see that, too, in the Shaun of the Dead poster where, you know, they've Shaun, especially Simon Pegg does this really great slack jawed look where he doesn't look lifeless, um, mm. but he does kind of have that zombie like appearance. It's a very Simon Pegg face. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that feels like because in a way it is uh, Shaun of the Dead is a continuation of this spaced conversation. Um, that Simon, Edgar, and Nick were trying to have with the community, even in a funny way. Mm. It's well, it's quite counterculture. Um, the 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 shared theming of space and Shaun of the Dead, in the sense of it's always like the 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 themes of feeling um, like you're not really having a drive to do what is typically 
seen as what you should do within society um to you know oh you should have a great relationship and you should get a you should have the drive for a great career be social be outgoing um i think that but there is pe people in society that they, they either don't feel confident or they don't have that like instantaneous they know what they're going to look for and know what they're going to do sort of thing and yeah. also at the same time like i think it was also counterculture in the way that it was sort of like shattering the british ideal of like you know the perfect citizen which you've had a lot of other comedies that have done that sort of thing or poke fun of it. Like, appearances. Yeah, that's sorry, what I, I had a bug caught in my throat. It was like a little bouquet flew in through the window. <laughs> you could actually argue that keep up appearances is diametrically opposed to space in the sense that you've got one end, which is sort of like reaching for the high culture, wanting to be part of the establishment and like, the, the eternal struggle for that and you've got the other end which is like they don't really care about the establishment they're trying to get on with their lives but they're just in this eternal sort of yeah like mess it's not like onslow and daisy from cup appearances they're quite at peace with themselves they are, well they daisy is at peace with herself uh, she just well, wishes except... onslow would get on board and turn the telly off Oh, and yeah, be like light the fires in their marriage, yes. sort of thing. Again, God, God bless um, Daisy Bouquet. Yes, um, in in a way, I mean, going back to Shaun of the Dead, though, what they really needed was uh, Daisy to appear with Onslow during the film, and Daisy gives some relationship advice to Shaun. Uh, that'd be amazing. I feel like Ons, the actor that played Onslow, has probably passed away by the time they were made. <laughs> by the time they were oh. making Shaun of the Dead. Mm -hmm. I don't know that for a fact. Uh, so here's kind of a good segue back into the actual film itself. So one thing I love mm -hmm. about Shaun of the Dead is it subverts expectation in a lot of ways. And this mm -hmm. scene is actually a perfect representation of this. So Gen X is kind of hallmarked by this idea of the idiot box, the idea that the TV rules everything. This is really before you had like social media. So everything was coming through TV. Um, and the adults, quote unquote, in the room, you know, we're telling slacker kids, if you don't stop watching TV, if you don't stop going graves, you don't stop doing this and that, you're going to waste your life, ruin your life. And Sean mm. is kind of supposed to be the typical version of this. Um, he can't, like, remember to bring his mom flowers. He can't, like, multitask and, like, get a table for two with him and Liz uh, but there's this great moment after they've encountered zombies the first time before they discover that Pete has been turned into a zombie upstairs. Uh, by the way, I'm spoiling this movie. If you haven't seen it, uh, turn off the episode, watch the movie, then come back, turn the episode back on. <laughs> um, but there's this great scene where they've been watching TV, they've been playing video games, they've been checked out, they just beat up the first two zombies that came to the yard. Um, and there's going to be a really great scene with an armless... Uh, groom zombie that i absolutely think is one of the best zombies in the film uh but there's a really great moment where they're told to stay indoors on the tv by that really trusted anchor who they paid some sum of money to get to say you have to go for the head um 
And Ed looks at the TV after after the anchor says, and everyone stand or he goes, you don't believe everything you see on TV, do you? And like they shut off the TV or they do a quick cut away from it. And TVs don't appear pretty much in the rest of the film until the end, until close to the end credits. And like, it's a really great repudiation of the idea that people of that era, the slacker generation, quote unquote, are so enamored with their TV that they can't actually come to action. So it's mm -hmm. a really great subversion of something. Uh, subversion is something that you see in Scott Pilgrim a little bit. Um, yes. Subversion is something you definitely see in Hot Fuzz in a lot of ways. Subversion is even something you see in The World's End. But World's End is, I think, where it works the least. So if we ever do talk about World's End, I will talk about that because I saw that I I had a lot I loved the idea of World's End in the trailer, um, but much like <laughs> much like some other trailers I've seen was very disappointing. Uh, but so Shaun mm. of the Dead, the moments of subversion in this film don't just work because of the story; they work because also the camera work. They work because mm. the actors are very committed to what they're doing. They love what they're doing. It's also a very highly intelligent thing. Uh, Simon Pegg's work. And Edgar Wright's work always strikes me as being almost hyper intelligent about the people that are going to watch it and about the message they want to send. Uh, mm. I don't think it's any mistake that Sean is a slacker whose like masculinity is kind of awakened by the zombies and by wanting to get to his mom, Barbara, and to his ex-girlfriend at that point, Liz. Um, I don't mm. think it's a, I don't think any of it was a mistake. And I think it's meant to kind of like show Gen X that, you know, maybe you are slacking, but one, it's not your fault. Two, maybe you're not as much of a slacker as you think. Maybe it's just literally your circumstances at the moment. Um, mm. yeah. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, clearly the, um, the, clearly the zombie apocalypse is... <sighs> sort of a kick in the backside <laughs> yeah. if that makes sense um it, it's an event that triggers a, a response in the hero um you could I, I kind of agree with you that they might he and liz might have sorted out their relationship if there hadn't been anything um i mean pete um had a go at sean and sean made make the effort to write a note to himself when he woke up from a stupor the next day to get his life sorted out so there's clearly some desire there already well um, yeah and and liz had actually and... said that earlier in the film too she had like she desperately did not want to end up going to the winchester every night like yeah. she desperately was looking for something but she was just living in this flat with these i i don't know if david was a roommate or if david was just diane's boyfriend that was there all the time but like she states it outright close to the beginning of the movie that she did not want to be stuck but she did not know how to get out of that feeling of being stuck and that mm. feeling of being dragged down by sean being stuck um and it's, it's a very yes. interesting treaties for a zombie film to make it does bear in mind the idea of the first zombie film that Romero did where the racism isn't overt. And then at the end of the movie, it's thrown in your face as they kill the lead because, because he's black. Um, and it's not quite equivalent because the racism in America was so virulent then. 
and it's still virulent now, sadly. Um, so it's not quite the same. It's not a one for one, but it makes me think as they're writing the script, they knew exactly what they were saying and what they were doing um, mm. to kind of talk about the issues that were, I mean, even if you look at like the kind of stuff that was happening on Saturday Night Live, in the 2000s and like the political stuff they weren't really touching them that they could have it's 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 there's something really interesting that Shaun of the dead does beyond it being a zombie movie but the zombies just kind of make it fun and they're really great use of foreshadowing they're really distinct um lots of famous people had cameos as zombies in the film like people <laughs> really wanted to get involved um not quite yeah. to the level of the people um, in the last film we talked about, but like, yeah, it's not Spice World level, <laughs> but there were some people that were excited to be in this film. Um, one of the ones that surprised me, Russell Howard is in this film somewhere. Um, I cannot oh, I for life me figure out where, but he's <laughs> like one of the last two build. So if I, I, I watched it, uh, I watched it last night in preparation for this, but I from life me could not figure out Ooh. who Russell Howard wow. was in this film. If, if I just like, if it was like a blink and you miss him TV moment, if he was one of the zombies, Russell Howard yeah. was in this film somewhere. It's like a, it's like a where's yeah. Wally kind of scenario. Now that is interesting. I did not realize Russell was in this, but it sounds like I may well have to go and play where's Wally looking for him um, yeah, america ferrero oh, is... who played ugly betty is also in it uh, mm. so it's like two two very funny comedian mm. actors currently are in it but i could not tell you where either of them are in this film to save my life i mean that nicely leads into one point i really wanted to make was the fact that if you have a look at the casting list for this film he is such a love letter to British acting talent. Um, I mean, you've as we mentioned Nick Frost, Bill Knightley. Um, you've got Dylan Moran in it. Um, Ralph Ralph Spall, Martin Freeman is in it. This is the from the period before he really yeah, took off he and had just became off so well known. Who does, um, who does who does who is Ralph? Because I know Noel is in this. Ralph Stahl plays Noel, but what else? What else has um, Ralph Stahl done? Should I should I know him from something? He's done quite a bit. He like like um, when you say Tamsin Grieg, I'm like, yeah, Tamsin, I know who that is. But like, I for the life of me cannot like I cannot think of another thing I've seen Ralph Stahl in. Um, Prometheus, Life of Pi. Um, oh, I didn't see either of those movies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, quite, quite a few things. I wonder whether sometimes he's been a bit more um, located within British uh, TV, yeah. but he has had a, quite a lot, quite a large career. Um, for him, it's like the guy he, that plays Doc Martin. Like some of that stuff is just like Doc Martin, and then he's done other things. I get it. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah just love it and one of my favorite little jokes in the film um you know it's not like uh an obvious but the when um the gang is like trooping behind all the gardens and run into their um alter egos and acting their own version of the film yes um which, which is great it's such a lovely tongue-in-cheek tongue-in-trope um 
And it's one of the great it's one of the great foreshadowing moments too, because it happens Mm -hmm. earlier in the film and then it happens again and then it happens a third time at the end. Like it happens every single act of the film has this re-meeting. Um, and what's great is that that's not a romantic meeting. They just happen to be friends that happen to be, mm. you know, male and female identified presenting. So good for good for them. But yeah, it happens like three times in the movie. It's great. Mm. So do you think Liz was moved by Sean's awakened masculine energy then? I think what's great is that Sean and uh, Liz carry masculine and feminine in them both i tend to think of liz as the more masculine between her and sean she just needed to him to show his ability to act um because mm. she she had hung in there she was like i she's the one that was like i'm call you at home and then i'm gonna call you at the office you know and then i'm gonna call you at the end of the day so she was giving him all these chances and like if you consider the idea of masculinity as being the one that's kind of more aggressive or more pushing for something or like not aggressive in a bad way but just like maybe Mm. slightly more extroverted out there liz is the more masculine of the pair she also does not mind you know that that sean can take a cricket bat and get smacked something i do wonder if liz and sean are kind of uh, and there's and I don't have the the book that was written about Shaun of the Dead, but I do wonder if it's like a like a flip version of either the Reanimator or if it's a or if it's like a Army of Darkness thing. Um, if it was supposed mm. to be like a trope they were exploring, or if that's mm. just kind of how they came out as actors, because Simon Pegg, whenever he plays romantic lead, always does kind of play. Mm that softer masculinity in a way he does play someone that you kind of have to chase for and it's not bad the only time he's ever actually played like super alpha masculine was his like cameo in doctor who where he played the evil guy that runs the satellite um that is just like enslaving yeah Yeah. so like when he's not playing i i would argue that was actually something that bothered me in world's end was when he played gary as that very angry, virulent, bitter, masculine man. It didn't read right to me. And it also <laughs> didn't help the story for me. It's because when I think of Simon Pegg, I do think of a softer masculine. And I like that Sean and Liz balance each other out. But even if he hadn't gone after Liz, even if she hadn't been there, he still would have had to go get his mom. He still would have become this. But there was all this foreshadowing earlier in the movie about his relationship mm. with both Liz and Barbara. Um, and of course you have to have a character named Barbara in a zombie mm-hmm. romantic comedy. Like th- there was so much foreshadowing of it. There was no way they weren't going to be involved. Like y- there was enough reason for him to leave his house. There was enough reason for him to go and get them. There was no reason to leave them out of the script. And it just makes, it makes the transition to him in a more quote unquote traditional masculine role better but he's still not the more masculine of the pair i i I would argue liz at the end of the movie i think she has uh like the posters kind of shows her at the end of the movie with her like chain thing that she has that's from the um that's that's basically from the end of the film where she's kind of self-actualized as well and just the really great moment of uh 
where at the end of the film where he goes out to see ed and the zombie Ed in the shed and she's like yeah go hang out with your friend i got to see you do this thing i've got what i wanted we're going places in life now but you still have your connection to your Mm. old world and that's fine Mm. so yeah no i love Mm. i love liz and sean i think as gender dynamics go they're a wonderful pair um and Mm. they work really well for me in telling a story of kind of that time capsule playing with gender that TV did so effortlessly. Um, I think in the 90s, especially, that kind of the slacker TV and MTV did really well, where it was really not so much about gender, but we also weren't having a conversation about gender we should have had. Uh, (laughs) So we were like doing it, but then we weren't actually doing like the philosophical work behind you know, because we had we had great genderqueer artists, but we weren't really doing the philosophical work behind how um, how to integrate that more into culture, how to push forward with that. It was just kind of a thing that was, um, and we let it happen. And that that's in the way where the slacker generation really kind of fell mm-hmm. down was that they started a great work that then just there wasn't there wasn't enough philosophy behind. Sadly. Mm. I just want to quickly make one little point about our previous discussion. Um, we've mentioned about um, Shaun of the Dead um, pr- protagonist. We've mentioned about the world's end protagonist. Thinking about it from a masculinity point of view, then, would one argue that Shaun's portrayal of Nicholas Angel from Hot Fuzz, then, that's got a strong masculine energy to it, but it's quite focused. It's not um sort of a very primal one it's more like he's focusing himself very much in a very orderly sense and i'm very excited to talk about that in the next episode because there's a very particular reason they're doing it that isn't the same reason that gary the gary is the way he is in world's end and i'm very excited to talk about that in the next episode so one of the things i really want to talk about that we're going to see more of in Hot Fuzz more explicitly, and is kind of a bit of spoiler, but I'm going to talk about when I talk about Nicholas Angel's masculinity. This is not just a romantic comedy about Sean and Liz. It is of that to some extent. It's about Sean batting David away. It's about Sean learning how to introduce Liz to Barbara, his mom. Um, but in a much deeper way, it's about Liz coming to peace with the intimacy that Sean and Ed have, which is never explained. Now, I don't know if this is like normal male intimacy for um, for Britain, but it was kind of revolutionary in America because male friendships generally tend to be very standoffish in America. I think the cast of Friends is the only like male intimacy friendship show I can think of and they always no homoed it. So if we ever talk about uh friends, that no homo thing is gonna be a big thing. But mm-hmm. there's like there is this romance between Ed and Sean in this movie that is really not a romance about love, but it's a romance about friendship and about learning how to be playful, but also how to set boundaries. One of the things that Sean learns mm. is not that he has to get rid of Ed, not that Ed is such a bad influence, not that Ed is the anchor that Pete thinks he is, but that Ed really just needs boundaries and a reason to not push against them. 
Um, the the great joke in the beginning where Liz is like, you know, I don't like you. Uh, you know, I don't. You know, it's not that I don't like Ed. And then Sean is like, you know, it's like that I don't like David and Die. Um, but it, but it's this idea of not just a romance between two lovers, but also in romance and friendship and boundaries in relationship outside of romance. So they do make jokes in this film. There's a couple of jokes in Shaun of the Dead that I feel like haven't aged well. It made me cringe just a little bit. Uh, the joke in the bar where um, Sean's like, he's not my boyfriend and Ed brings my beer. I actually don't mind that joke as much. <laughs> like there's a couple of jokes that don't land quite as well as they probably did in 2004. Um, mm. I never feel like this movie is making fun of male intimacy. That's one thing. Mm. I feel like in a lot of zombie movies, and you see this kind of in 28 Days Later, just slightly, not really, um, it's the idea of toxic male intimacy, and you don't really see that here. The only toxic male character in this movie is David. And he pays for his sins by being disemboweled like the general in the second Romero Zombo movie. The one the the second one, the one where they're in the mall, whose name I can never remember, because they because they're all like scenery of the dead. So I can never keep them straight as far as <laughs> titles. But he dies in the same way that General dies, um, having his innards ripped out. So David is the only real toxic masculine presence in this film. Even Philip, who Sean absolutely loathes, is not as bad a guy. It's just that's Bill Nighy's face. He can't do anything about that face. Uh, Bill Nighy just has the face of someone being far too serious about things in a far too not serious situation. Uh, but even his reasoning behind what he did, he gets to make up with Sean. David is the only really toxic figure in this film even the zombies aren't toxic because they're just doing what they do and they're slow zombies thankfully not quick zombies uh because we started mm. seeing quick zombies shortly after this and i gotta say i am much more in the slow zombie camp than i am quick zombie um mm. so for me this movie is a movie about the idea of communication and the idea of boundaries and yes there are zombies but even if there weren't zombies i still think this would be a pretty darn good movie they would have had to go some other directions it obviously would have been more traditional romantic comedy but i think the bones of it as a story about communication and redemption and boundary setting and romance between different types of people is all very there mm -hmm. and it's all very valid and it's very complex especially for a 2004 movie. Like, I, mm. I I can't express enough about how many elements to this movie work that could have fallen so hard and so flat on their face. And I'm so glad that it did not. Mm. You know what that, what you're, you just said reminds me of? Um, how smart I, I am, how beautiful I am, <laughs> how much Tom Hardy could call me if Tom Hardy wanted my phone number. Call me, Tom. Oh, Tom Hardy. Oh, even, sorry. You're I, won't even, I, I won't even dress up in a dog outfit like like Alan Carr did on that one episode when he had you on that one Christmas episode. Oh, still think about that. Anywho, oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. I was just daydreaming Tom Hardy's scene from Legend when he was uh, spanking the boy um, whilst he was in his little uh, mafia man cave or whatever you want to call it yeah um oh we're, we're, we're all a fan of tom hardy tom hardy is a blessing that the world doesn't deserve 
much like Shaun of the Dead, in a different way. Anywho, so I interrupted you. What was your thought before I got off in the Tom Hardy headspace? From that example of toxic masculinity to um, other masculinity, um, you're the whole thing about um, bromance and intimate male friendship reminded me of a little remembered Paul Rudd film from a number of years back. Um, I Love You, Man. And uh, yeah, the... I love you, man. That's a, that's a really good one. Uh, Jason Siegel plays a man child who meets Paul Rudd and they have this affinity for Rush, especially. And so like the whole middle of the film is basically them in a Rush concert and then Jason Siegel getting choked out by Lou Ferrigno, I think, if it was, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, no, I love you, man is a great, uh, great example of doing it more straight um doing it a different sort of genre but doing kind of that same work of the idea of connection yes. and it's mm. i i guess i did you have another point of that because that's that's an interesting way to go yeah well, that's the thing in i love you man it goes from um paul rudd being a passive uh, male member of his relationship same with what sean was with liz um and then a catalyst happening that changes um their thinking and their sort of goals as it were so with sean it was his relationship with liz was in peril um and the catalyst was really the both the liz's threatened breakup and also the zombie incident and with paul rudd's character who I, oh, I, i'm kicking myself i can't remember the name of the character in the film um paul rudd's character he's about to get married to his sweetheart and over her here's the sweetheart's friends gossiping about why paul's character doesn't have any close male friends and uh by the way the fiance in that film is played by Anne from parks and rec which is a michael shore uh reference from my intro to the uh two today's video and it is a movie, so I Love You Man is a movie about discovery as Paul Rudd actually does find a compatible male friend that all of a sudden they do get really um, close. And his relationship is seen as close and as valid as his intimate relationship is to his fiance then wife. But it is finding that balance between these two important relationships within his life and admitting that they do have strong validity to them but there is boundaries of where they can sit um so i do like talking about Shaun of the dead and that does remind me of why i quite enjoyed that film for it's quite it's quite nice honest portrayal of like how important um male friendships can be to a man alongside his romantic interests well and i would argue that at the beginning of the movie even though there are no zombies edgar mm. wright does this really great thing where all of the workers and all the people you meet in london feel very zombified even mm. the relationship between um liz and sean for being a romantic pairing they are kind of on two parts of a cavernous gulf in a way of what they want, where they are in life. Um, 
I would argue that until we get zombies and even for a good portion of time with zombies, um, Ed and Sean have the most intimate relationship in this film easily. Even when Pete talks about his relationship uh, with Sean, it's kind of in past tense. Like he talks about how they met. He talks about the kind of fun they used to have. But that was five years ago. And his relationship with Liz has been going on for a while. Um, the lady at the florist shop has two options for Mother's Day cards. Like, wow, thank you for being my mom or super mom. And she rattles them off with no inflection or caring in her voice. And someone working with flowers, which is this like traditionally beautiful field about romantic moments and about connection. A lot of this film is about the idea of connection. I mean, the zombies themselves, until we're at the Winchester and they're converging in a horde, even they have distance from each other. Uh, mm. You don't really, like, there's always room between the zombies for for friends to move. Even when they're converging on the people in the backyards, when we get Avon and her group passing, when zombies are eating the people in the backyards that were other patrons at the Winchester, they're on opposite sides. Like, they're never eating from the same side. The only time zombies get close to each other even is when they're trying to get in somewhere where people are. Like, there's this whole mm. thing in this movie that goes back to that slacking connection um, that I think you see really well as a treaty in British rom-coms. I'm thinking specifically, mm. here's a Vicar of Dibley thing again. Vicar of Dibley was a story of connection and where it could have gone into... Uh, David, the town Grinch, uh, the town miser with all the money. Throughout the course of the series, he becomes connected to the town through the through the woman vicar, vicar that he absolutely loathes that the, at the beginning, but she pulls him in. And so like mm. Shaun of the Dead carries on that great tradition. Uh, Good Neighbors is another one that I'm thinking of uh, with the idea of community, the idea of taking something that kind of annoys you and choosing to let it annoy you and then slowly seeing the value in it. Um, mm. And I think Shaun of the Dead just does that, but with zombies. And I think that's a very good time. I think that's very cash money, as the kids say nowadays. I don't know if the kids still say <laughs> that, but I, for one, think Shaun of the Dead is very cash money, and you can quote me on mm. that. I wonder whether the slowness of the zombies as well um is a concept that was very deliberately put in there we've spoken about I mean, there, the is a, there is a joke about it that is in the movie about them moving slow so if yes. they just like match pace with them so i have to think the slow zombie yeah. thing because that was being but, revamped by 2004 pretty easily that's why in 28 days later they're slightly quicker so like it was already a conversation being had so mm-hmm but I wonder whether it's a concept of both the con the thought of everyone existing in this mire, this sort of almost like swamp of like apathy and um, inability to really push yourself of to go somewhere, and like their slow shambling gates when um, Sean is going to the shop to pick up some bits for him and ed and you could see all the zombies just like slowly meandering towards him in the distance but they're yeah. never going to catch him if he just keeps walking at his normal pace and everything um 
well, I wonder if it's reference to that. And sorry. Well, this isn't, well, so so when I think about movies with a sense of urgency, hmm. Shaun of the Dead doesn't pick that up until about Act Two when they decide to take uh, Pete's car, and that's when Ed kind of takes the steering wheel and starts going too quickly. Um, but really, for a good portion of this movie, it's not pursuit of happiness where Will Smith is trying to provide for his kid instead of sleeping in like subway restroom stalls. Um, Liz is the only character with any sense of urgency, but it's not a sense of urgency with anywhere to go. Like, she just knows she doesn't want to end up at the Winchester. She just knows she doesn't want to be living this life, but she doesn't really have an exit plan. We never find out what she does for work. We never find out much about her flat. Um, We Mm. never see a bedroom, so we never see a private room that is just hers. In a way, Liz is a lot like Rose from Doctor Who, where we learn about her throughout the show, but if she had only traveled with the Doctor for a season instead of two, I can imagine we wouldn't have learned near as much as we did about her. Um, There's there's something Mm. great about Liz being a catalyst, not for a zombie apocalypse, but for a change in other people. And I think if you did a sequel Mm. and you focused on that, it could work, but also maybe you don't need that. Maybe the idea of just wanting something is enough in this case, because if you're built into a generation where all you have is a zombified, uh, we we have that currently, you know, in America, in the generation of uh, zillennials and beyond, where they're like, why should I go get a job? Why should I get my soul sucked out for 40 years, you know, for not being able to retire? Like, why can't I make a way for myself? You know, you kind of see that in Shaun of the Dead, where Liz wants something, you know, and you get peaks of it from other characters that don't want other things. Like you get the you get the idea that Ed and Sean may have been amateur DJs at some point because they have all the DJ equipment. Like, and that's a specific choice. Like that could have been anything, but they they talk about records like they like they know records. Um, also, that Blue Monday album that they throw it's one of the best albums ever made, and I I'm always kind of cringe at that scene because I'm always sad. Also, I would not have thrown the Batman album. I know that Sean was like, throw the Batman album. I'm like, no, don't throw the Batman album. It's a great <laughs> album. What's wrong with you? Prince is on that album. Um, yeah, yeah but there's, um, there's really great. It's so great to have Liz in this film as a catalyst. Hmm. It's an amazing character that does amazing work. And you do get the sense, that even if zombies hadn't been in this film, Liz wanted to be a catalyst for change and even if it took her time she was mm. going to get there she was going to figure it out and if sean didn't want to get along for the ride he was going to get out of the car and she was yep. pushing him out of the car um and then he came <laughs> back so and we've talked about um connections with in the in sense of sean to ed and um sean to liz etc but really um you also see it with other between Sean and other characters in the movie, um, when he and his stepdad—oh, is it Philip? Philip. Played by Bill Philip. Well, I'm they, sorry, Philip. They, what are you sorry for? They, what have you done now? Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, they have a heart to heart before he gets off. Right then, before um, he gets on the fight, like just you don't even—they don't even have a moment after that. Like he has the heart to heart, and then he's dead. Uh, uh, 
<laughs> and then Barbara, Sean's mum, gives like her approval, and then she's off as well. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I really loved Harriet Jones in this film. It's it's really great to see her doing things after uh, she is no longer the prime minister. Good for her. Mm. Yes. Um, <laughs> also, Sean and uh, Barbara have that really great conversation in the kitchen when he comes mm. over, and that's one of the cringy moments in the film because he accuses Philip of something I won't say here, but like, she's really strong will for a mom that you think is like kind of not quite all there or a little too uh a little too soft and uh there's just something great about her being like you need to grow up sean like he is my husband and you may not be happy about it but you still need to grow up and get over it and like mm -hmm. in that small space of that conversation you get so much about who these two characters are and she doesn't coddle him. She can. She feels the ability to be honest with him. Um, you you can sense that she's fed up. It, the the actress does such amazing things uh, with um, with the character. Like Penelope Wilton is a great actress for many reasons, and you really do see it here um, in Shaun of the Dead. How she can play strong yet vulnerable. Um, and how you can be really invested in such a short time because when she dies, it's it's hard. It kind of has to happen for not for the movie to succeed, but it kind of has to happen to let Sean get on with his life and really commit to Liz. Because in a way, if Barbara had lived, I can easily see Sean falling back into old patterns. But like, it's sad, but it's also necessary for the mm. film, and I think that works it really well. If Ed had lived, do you think that would have possibly been again the same issue? Well, Ed does live. I mean, he's so so. A lot of people think of Ed as being kind of this immature, devil may care character. We don't learn enough about his life really before to know why he's the way he is. But I don't think it's a mistake that he ends up as a zombie in the shed, and he's one of many things. Like part of the whole playfulness of the end is that scene from the from the reality show Trisha, which is like a talk show, I guess, over there from Trisha. Um, and the idea of people marrying their zombie partners, the idea of people living their lives with these people that they know. I mean, Ed essentially starts the film playing video games inside the house and ends the film playing video games outside in the shed. But it doesn't really change him and who he is, except for potentially wanting to bite Sean, Ed is still Ed. So even though he gets bitten, he's still Ed in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's a question mark that is never resolved. And that's very smart and very difficult storytelling to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's significant that he begins and ends a movie in the same place and that even a zombie apocalypse can't change that character. It also takes a masterful actor to be able to play the type of character that Ed is and not make me absolutely despise them. Like, comes <laughs> up right to the line, but Nick Frost does a really great job. And then we see Nick Frost again in Hot Fuzz playing that same sort of Banshaw character. I like him even more. He's more endearing the second time he does it. But like, that character in different hands would have gone so wrong and i'm so glad mm. nick frost had such a good handle on ed and how to play him mm. 
um, in this very optimistic, self-actualized, but just not into doing anything in particular sort of character. Mm. Um, I think Ed yeah. and Sean, when we look back kind of later in life, when we look back on films that talk about male intimacy and talk about male characters, I do think Shaun of the Dead is going to be at the top of that list. I think you'll have like Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan. You'll have all these war movies. And then you'll have Shaun of the Dead. Because I really do think this is a movie about male power, male intimacy. It's kind of the opposite of Mad Max Fury Road, which is really all about mm. female power and things like that and how you reclaim it. In a way, you know, this is this is about, you know, the power of being male and being a man. What does that mean? Um, and all many of the male characters really do all have the gamut of range between aggressive toxic masculinity like fake masculinity where they're trying to steal someone's girlfriend because they think they deserve it which would be david and then you have <laughs> philip which has a different masculinity from sean but they're both masculine um yeah. and it's it's such such an interesting movie because it both plays with gender roles subverts them but also keeps their traditions intact in some ways um mm. it, it's 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 just one of those things where Ooh. the more i think about it the more excited i get for the different meanings the movie does have so speaking that lee speaking about um subversion then um subverting the traditional gender um archetypes and such that leads me to one of my favorite points of the movie um the ending when um liz and sean emerge from the winchester and they bump into sean's friend uh, yvonne i think yvonne yes her name her yeah. name is yvonne who's basically come in with the cavalry as the military swoop in and dispose of the zombie nuisance and i was just like ha so finally we see a zombie movie where there's a a little bit of a realism to it with the military actually um, swooping in and being organized well, with... and she's the only one left of her group too because when ah, we see we the group this? there's a whole bunch of parallels because there's a parallel actor for every single yeah. actor in our main group we're following she's the only one left from her group did she say that um, or are they just because she seems a bit more competent than Sean has she got her group to safety and has just come back to kick ass you know, it doesn't say. And that's one of the things where you can kind of... I, I decided in my mind that the rest of her group would perish either because they didn't listen to her because they listened to the guy with her instead, or maybe they were back safe at camp and she's the only one that wanted to come back into town. And mm. you can kind of make that decision for yourself, which is nice because she doesn't say anything. She just mirrors the, th the things she said from earlier. Um, so she never mm. says. Actually, quite interesting. Thinking about it, realistically, um, Yvonne is, she appears to be quite an active person, as we've discussed that Liz is. Now, knowing Martin Freeman uh, as a person from his many acting roles and such, he never really plays a very um, active masculine role. Um, he clearly has very strong masculine energy, but it's a more reserved type. Yeah, I, I would person. agree with that. I feel like that's oh, so... probably why he was cast, because he was the mm. lead in the Hitchhiker's remake film that they did. Yeah, 
uh, which Bill Nye he was also in. So yeah, no, yeah, yeah Martin Freeman. He plays he plays a softer masculinity. He plays a quieter masculinity, but it's still masculine. So hmm. it's a very Steve Carell sort of masculinity in a way. Hmm. So it's a it's a different take on it. But actually, um, Sean and um whoever Martin's character's name was, which his name uh, is I do I, I'm Sorry? looking at I'm looking at the cast list. His name is Declan. Declan was the character that Martin Freeman played. But thank you, darling. Um, Sean and Declan, um, both pa- passive uh, male um, characters, but in definitely different ways. And oh, now that's interesting to see the parallels between them and the differences and such. Yeah, and, and that mm. was purposely done too. Which is mm. really nice. I think that it was purposely when they cast Martin Freeman, he also does look a bit like Simon Pegg. He does have sort of the generally same face structure. They both have what I call the Christopher Eccleston ears, where they kind of pop out from the sides, um, which is part of why he's one of my favorite doctors. But but they have like that same kind of look as well, um, where they kind of give you that average. Uh, average Londoner male energy without much special to them. And then when you start digging underneath the surface, you find out all this kind of interesting stuff about them. Um, I, I I don't think anything done in this movie was a mistake. The only mistakes are like kind of cinema, uh, cinematographic uh, goofs. Like there are a couple of scenes where if you watch it enough, you start seeing the boom mic and reflections and stuff, which I don't have a problem with. Uh, because I can kind of lose myself in the movie, but like people are always very eager to make sure everybody knows where those little um, engineering goofs are without realizing how long <laughs> and difficult it is to make a movie, especially a movie with Shaun of the Dead that has so many extras, so many moving parts. Uh, I don't so, think people have a concept mm. of this. The, the scene with Sean crossing the street just to go to his shop, you know, because he does that twice, once before zombies, once after. When I'm looking at IMDb, I'm looking at Shaun of the Dead and, and all the goofs, quote unquote, are lifted it, listed in it, like all the things you're not supposed to see and all like the changes. And that particular scene has a lot of them. That easily was probably four or five days of shooting over and over. It's a thing that you have to choreograph. It's a thing you really only have one or two shots at. Um, and the the crispness of what we ended up getting took them days to get. So if there's like, oh, a reflection of a camera in this door, or oh, the Chevalier didn't have a tint on the windshield, or oh, the spot that Sean has from the red pen is a different size in this scene. Y'all y'all are missing the movie. <laughs> y'all, need, y'all need to watch the movie. Like the point is. He's going to a store doing what he normally does, hasn't even noticed a zombie apocalypse, and won't for a little while yet. And it's one of those things where, like, you can't spend so much time on the goofs and the things that didn't get fixed, and you're missing the film itself. Like, as a person that did some film studies, there's something very masterful in camera work in Shaun of the Dead in these kind of long tracking shots they did that they basically did twice, essentially once with mm. zombies, once without. I, it, it, it just blows my mind. They were able to achieve 
such a one for one. And it's something I'm grateful for is that not just the story is good, not just the actors are good, but the camera work in the films are good. The things you think are going to be jump scares that aren't, the things that are jump scares that you don't <laughs> expect. Um, the choreographed final battle scene, the the kill the queen, David, with the jukebox, uh, the horde of zombies, the loss of Ed, the loss of Barbara, both the heartbreak going from this like romantic comedy into the pure action of zombies, you know, losing your mm. pub, which if you've watched Sandman, you know how pubs are special to the people of Britain, <laughs> especially Hob Gadling. It's there's something so masterful about Shaun of the Dead. And I know I've just like I've talked your ear off about it for like two hours. Um so I think I'll probably give you the last word, but Mm-hmm. There's something so masterful in how Shaun of the Dead moved from just being a movie about slackers into being about communication and about bravery and about desire and about learning to become something more than you were when you desperately mm-hmm. want something to change. And I think Shaun of the Dead is special, yeah. not just because it's it's a quote-unquote love letter to other zombie movies, but because it's so much more than that. And if I ever get to meet Edgar Wright... I will have him. This will probably be the thing I have Edgar Wright sign (laughs) is my Shaun of the Dead DVD, and then I'll just buy another copy. Um, I'm grateful for Shaun of the Dead from 2004. Mm. I think it's an exquisite, and it's an hour 39 minutes. So if you hate it, like it's what 90 something minutes out of your life. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's exquisite, and I think it's a really important film, not just for zombies, but for people that are about coming of age stories and about romance and. Mm. I, for one, really like Shaun of the Dead, and I'm really happy to live in a world in which it exists as well. Mm. No, you're completely right there. It's a great love letter to British comedy as a whole. Um, It's just absolutely dripping with um, golden moments of British British life, basically, in every aspect. And it always keeps it quite down to earth and low key by just by the setting the fact that you're living the events of what's happening through a very personal story um because it could have gone like the 28 days later direction and have you know gone with them walking through the center of london near all the landmarks which everyone's um aware of but instead they by keeping it within a very um local locale <laughs> um it, it becomes lo- much more of an intimate portrayal of these this group of people and of this relationship which is going through a very transform transformational stage um and you're right it it's by terms it's a love story it's a comedy um very much zombie horror <laughs> um but at the end of the day, it never loses the sheer Britishness of its roots. And yeah, I can see why it was beloved by both um, the British public when it came out and by people that have a love for all things of the Queen's golden shores. <laughs> well, the King's golden shores, I should say now. Uh, we It'll still haven't got used queen. to that over It'll here. It'll always be the Queen in our hearts. Mm. We're still not yeah, over Princess Diana in America, so it's okay if, it's, oh. if it stays the queen for, for a while. No offense to King Charles, but 
I think I don't know if he'll ever quite escape the shadow as mum. Uh, and fair. and yes, and thankfully we now have Shaun of the Dead as a lasting piece of cinematic art, yeah. and that's the great thing about a film that's well made. Just being able to go back and enjoy it time and time again, you know, no matter how many times people go and watch Rocky Horror Picture Show, there's a great reason they really get into it, and that's the same quality that you get with Sean and Hot Fuzz. And yes, not perhaps so much that the world's end, but you know, two hour three isn't too bad. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's much like a coronetto flavor. Two out of three isn't too bad. Um, which, by the way, we call them drumsticks here in America, not cornettos. And I really wish we called them cornettos because the drums. Yeah, they're called drumsticks here. But that's what you call chicken legs. Yeah, no, we call chicken legs drumsticks, too. Actually, we call them drummies sometimes. What? Um, yeah, no, they don't call them cornettos here. It's not. It's like, but, but, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know uh, what to tell you. That that would get confusing oh never mind I mean, that's a whole in, other thing one is in the frozen one is in the frozen uh i they, call, they don't call it the ice cream section they call it like the frozen amusement section or whatever the um what because most of our ice cream isn't really ice cream technically you can't call it that legally oh um because it's not made with enough cream to be it so it's like oh um, it's in the frozen treats section frozen treats section yeah so so Cornetto, we we call them drumsticks here. Like that's it's kind of like uh, Kleenex. Drumsticks is the name of the company, but it's like with an X or uh, something like that. Okay. I know. It's I'm tiring. rather it's baffled tired. and befuddled it, now. I know it's tiring. Uh, so something I love about this, uh, for February we decided to go with a romance theme, and uh, I am really excited to talk next time for the other half of um. February about uh, Hot Buzz. Um, and the reason I'm not doing World's End is because I think as the end of the Blood and Ice Cream trilogy, it is a much different kind of movie. And so it deserves its own moment. I don't know when that will be. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about it and not as many positive as I have to say about Shaun of the Dead and Hot oh. Buzz. Uh, but I'm very excited to talk about Hot Buzz, not just because um, Timothy Dalton is a great villain and I get to uh, do my I'm going to do a count for how many times I say crusty jugglers throughout a two hour time mm. period. Um, but I think Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz together as a pair of films about not just friendship and romance but about kind of this world within a world aesthetic that um, you see a lot in novels successfully usually more than you see in films like i'm thinking of like the harry dresden books which mm. is much better than a lot of um what they did on tv with the harry dresden files uh there's, there's something very world within a world about both these movies because the zombie apocalypse is out there but this film is so tight on one neighborhood it does really feel like its own world inside of a bigger conversation um and i'm really excited to continue that conversation uh, by the time you're listening to this, listeners, you'll be listening to this either on or after Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day to all those who celebrate. And if you don't, happy tomorrow is 50% off Chocolate Day um, <laughs> on February 15th. Uh, I appreciate everyone that listened in. I appreciate you as well, Magnus, for listening to oh. me yammer on and on about Shaun of the Dead. Um, <laughs> and I'm really excited for next episode. I hope everyone has a great day. Uh, be safe, be kind, and if you see a zombie, 
Just bash it in the head a little bit. That seems to be the best way. Yep, nothing like the shed at the back of the garden for that. I mean, it's always been locked, but if you unlock it, apparently there's cricket bats in there, so that's very cash money of whoever stocked <laughs> that shed. Um, have a great day, Magnus. Yes, you, you too, darling. Speak soon, and we'll do a shootout then. <laughs> yeah.